today on Tea and Teaching. If I'm ever doing um, a course on um, explicit instruction, it's what I always do a slide of this is what explicit instruction is and this is what it isn't. And one of the things that it isn't is a lecture. When you start pupils doing practice, that practice should then be really scaffolded and really guided. And it should also be really similar to what you've done as a class. And again, teachers don't like doing that. They think, oh, my God, I can't give them a really similar question to the one that they've already done because that would be too easy. It's actually a really, really good topic for a teaching and learning group because there's lots of really great and well-written research and articles. And um, if you're trying to persuade people to, to take on explicit instruction, there's brilliant articles to do so. So, Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. I'm Arf Moore and with me, as always, it's Mike Harrowell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. You know what I'm saying these days. I can see you singing along to my intro. I, I certainly can. I mean, let's let's do a very brief intro of this episode, Arthur, because we got the opportunity to speak to Jade Pierce for the third time on this podcast. We love Jade, friend of the pod. Um, and we got to speak to her all about explicit instruction and how we can use that effectively in our lessons. Uh, we recorded this live on Twitter Spaces, um, so it's a slightly different episode for people, um, slightly different audio, but there's still some amazing takeaways that we can use in our lessons, in our classrooms. So enjoy all those amazing nuggets of knowledge that we're going to get from Jade in this episode. we should i think we've got some we've got some people ready to listen to us talk to jade who we know mike so should we kick this off we certainly should arthur um so welcome to tea and teaching live the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea or a beverage is in mike harrowell's case this evening i'm arthur moore and with me as always it's mike harrowell hi mike how are you Hello, today arthur. uh well i'm very excited because we're here with jade um for anyone who hasn't listened to Teen Teaching, if you've just stumbled across us on Twitter, um, we'll give you a, a little bit of a information behind us and who we are, and then we'll introduce Jade. So, Arthur, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? We'll, we'll keep it to 30 seconds because of your tendency to talk. So, I was a secondary maths teacher via Teach First, which I know you're a big fan of back in the day, then moved to teach in Thailand where I met my kindred spirit, Mike Harrowell, um, and did some other stuff to do with teaching and other stuff. Um, I'm no longer in the classroom, Mike, but I'm still teaching maths um, online as a tutor, as well as doing other things. Um, and basically, team teaching is what it's all about. 30 seconds is up. Mike, your 30 seconds, lift pitch, go. Yeah, I am by trade a PE teacher. Uh, have been assistant head in charge of teaching and learning and currently working as an executive head of PE over two schools. Uh, in the same what education f- trust. Can you just give us your job title? Executive again? head of PE. Can't get enough of that job title. I just, I just love it. I just absolutely love it. But Mike, the people aren't here to listen uh, to us live or on the pod live. They never are. <laughs> uh, but they are here to listen to to our guest. So, Jade, welcome to Teen Teaching Live. Not your first appearance. Not your second appearance. This is the hat trick of Teen Teaching with Jade Pierce. 
Jade, good evening. Hello. Thank you so much for having me again. It's our pleasure as always. I'm just going to add to anyone, if you do have any questions during the pod, please put them in the chat um, on the Twitter spaces and we will keep coming back to them. Um, but Jade, we're going to talk this evening all about explicit instruction, which I know is something that a lot of teachers, educators, schools are talking about right now. So just before we get into it, I just wanted to think, like, how would you define explicit instruction? What, what does it mean to Jade Pierce? Um, oh, crikey, that's a good question. So I think it's quite wide ranging. My definition would be that it is a teacher led approach to teaching, that it's a direct approach to teaching. And it is an approach where pupils are fully guided and supported through the learning process. So you as the teacher really are with your pupils and supporting your pupils at every stage and that's learning new content it's practicing new content etc yeah it's buff and i think in that myth isn't it i guess that it, direct instruction is not a lecture it's not you standing at the chalk face and talking yeah. to students for 20 30 40 minutes yeah completely and that's if i'm ever doing um a course on um explicit instruction it's what i always do a slide of this is what explicit instruction is and this is what it isn't and one of the things that it isn't is a lecture and um, it just basically means that you're using your expertise as a teacher to really help pupils with their learning um so it's it's not a lecture it, there's questioning there's lot you know students should be doing lots of practice and lots of assessment etc um it's just that it's teacher-led rather than discovery learning, I suppose, of any kind. And do you think it's coming back into fashion? Because I feel like it was out of fashion for quite a long time. I remember when I trained as a teacher, like, I don't think I was ever really told about explicit instruction. It was all about kind of that problem-solving yeah. approach. I don't think we were ever, we, we were encouraged not to lecture. Yes, certainly when I came into teaching, it was in the era of um, you couldn't talk, you know, to, people were timing teachers for how long they talked for and saying that they talked for too long and that it was boring and that pupils could only listen to you for their uh, number of years. So if they were six years old, they could only listen to you for six minutes, for example, um, which obviously is a load of rubbish. Um and so, yeah, I think it is now coming back into fashion. Certainly when I did my PGCE, that was all from the idea that um, pupils learned when they discovered new information for themselves and that if you just stood and, and talked and if you stood and explained something to them, they, they would never uh, learn anything. Um, so, so, yes, definitely coming back into fashion. And, and that's obviously that has come from knowledge-rich curriculum um, and, and the importance that we're placing on knowledge. And it's also come from um, evidence-informed practice becoming more prevalent in schools, Yeah, it say. goes back to that horrific pyramid we used to get shown where it's, you retain 10% of the information if you do this and 20 yeah. and 30. And, you know, yeah, the danger of that is any, any statistic in education that breaks down percentages by 10% exactly is probably yeah. a load of bogus. Yeah, well, it is. A, that's a complete myth. That's called the cone of experience. Uh, cone of experience. And, the, and the person that came up with that theory, it wasn't meant to have any relevance to teaching. It was nothing to do with effective teaching strategies. It was moving from um, concrete experiences to abstract experiences. And the, it wasn't presented in a pyramid. And the percentages were added by someone else later. 
So not only has the purpose and the kind of content of the theory been changed, but how it's represented and data has been added, which is is nothing to do with the original theory. But unfortunately, it's one of those myths that has tended to persist in education that we need to make sure that people realise um, isn't correct. And is that changing? And the reason I ask that is I think we know it's changing. And I think maybe a lot of the people join us live tonight know it's changing. But is that just kind of our edu Twitter sphere of influence that we kind of live in? Like, you guys have a lot more kind of day-to-day contact with teachers and schools than mm. I do at the moment. I was just wondering, is that is that just a Twitter thing that's changing or is it changing in schools? Um, for me, I think it's, it is changing in schools. I completely agree with the Twitter bubble and it really is not representative of the practices and the kind of beliefs of, of everybody in schools. Um, but I do think it is it is changing and it's changing because of the um, initial teacher training framework that we've got now and the early careers framework and the new MPQs. All of those things are kind of helping, I think, to get the message out there. But certainly I think it won't be ev- it won't it won't be everything. And I, I, I've spoke to trainees even recently who have said that they're still looking at constructivism in their kind of um, theory lessons of, of how to teach. And also, I think it's maybe older teachers who have been in um, the profession for a number of years. That's how they were taught at school. That's how they were trained to teach. That's how they've always taught. And it's really difficult, I think, sometimes to let go because it's so ingrained. Can I take it right back to basics then, Jade? Like... In your opinion, and I know this is in your book, like what is good explicit instruction? How how do we do it well? Um, well, I think it's about first of all making sure that um well, as a basic I would say actually, before we do explicit instruction, your subject knowledge has got to be good because explicit instruction demands that it's good. You can't really do explicit instruction without, you know, that preparation and that and that subject knowledge. And then it's about um, knowing the strategies that are associated with um, explicit instruction and Im- implemented then in, into teaching. So by that, I mean chunking and I mean um, using worked examples and um, scaffolding and guided practice and guidance fading, all of these things, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But I think it's also really crucial that we understand why do we think those strategies work? And I say this all the time when I talk to people about teaching and about training teachers, that they've. it's really important, I think, that teachers understand the reasons why we're advocating these strategies rather than just the superficial, this is what modelling is and this is how it's done properly. Because if you understand why the strategies are effective, you're much more likely to implement them in a successful way. So, for example, with explicit instruction, I think... If you're going to 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 do explicit instruction well, you've got to have a good understanding of cognitive architecture. You've got to understand we've got a limited working memory and we've got a long-term memory. And our aim is to transfer new knowledge, information, skills, etc., from the working memory to the long-term memory. But if we overload the working memory, that won't happen as effectively. Learning will be impeded. And so all of the strategies that we're using are trying to make sure that we don't overload the working memory of novice learners by 
giving them worked examples by scaffolding, etc. I also think you've got to understand that novices and experts learn in different ways and that if you're an expert, you've got all this knowledge in your long-term memory. When you bring it back into your working memory, that only takes up one space. So you've still got loads of space to solve problems, for example. But that if you're a novice, you don't have that um, knowledge stored in your long-term memory and so you can't possibly learn in that in the same way. You can't do experiments, you can't solve problems because you don't have the working memory capacity to do so. So it's a, a couple of things, I think. I've rambled on a bit, sorry. No, I really enjoyed the ramble because I think what it showed is, I think we often perceive explicit instructions, as Mike said earlier, to be lecturing. And we often as teachers perceive, maybe perceive lecturing to be an easier style of teaching because it's just standing up and saying stuff. And I think what you've highlighted there really nicely, Jade, is explicit instruction is really difficult to do well. It is not the easy option. And maybe that's where some of this comes back with our trainee teachers. You were saying, like, a kind of fighting this kind of explicit instruction. Well, to have really good subject knowledge and all these skills you've talked about, like, that takes experience, it takes time, it takes training, yeah. it takes quality. So. It's not easy to your first lesson to be an explicit instruction lesson. Yeah, there, and there was a really good blog recently. Someone posted it on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. That's going to drive me mad. It was they'd done a table. Maybe it might have been David Dyer, and he'd done a table about um, more traditional approaches to teaching, like explicit instruction, and then like discovery learning and pros and cons. And it was the the. Um, You've got to do more prep before explicit instruction to make sure you've got the knowledge. You know, you've got to pre-plan your explanations, etc. But it's also more intense for the teacher in the lesson because you're you're kind of centre stage, aren't you? You you are live modelling or you are walking around the room giving feedback on the practice that the kids are doing, and that's quite intense. It's not oh, you need to discover this for yourselves. Off you go. Which it might present more behaviour management issues, but isn't as intense on your knowledge and your actions throughout the lesson um so i thought that was a really good take on it actually that it that there are other pressures i think definitely i just wonder for anyone listening to this jade and they're thinking I, I would like to do some explicit instruction in my classroom i'd like to kind of move more to that model can you give us an outline of what in your opinion a, a good explicit instruction lesson would look like or would include and how you'd plan it <clears throat> yeah, so I don't want to say that it's um, an explicit instruction lesson because I think then people get hung up on having to include all of the things that I'm going to talk about in the lesson and obviously that's not the case. But I think I can go through the strategies that I think um, are included in explicit instruction. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a step-by-step -step plan to go through. So it's not you have to do this and you have to do this. But if I go through the strategies as a whole, is that okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. Crack on. Okay, so first of all, I'd say um, chunking. And they, this will be known really widely because it's erosion signs um, present new material in small steps. And basically, it's the idea that we're not presenting complex knowledge or complex skills or everything in one go that we're thinking, right, I need to do this first of all. And not just presenting it, but then getting students to practice, to rehearse that knowledge in some way so that it, it begins to feel fluent to them, so that they don't have to hold all of the knowledge in, the, in their working memory at one time. So chunking, first of all, and thinking, right, the first thing that they need to know is this. I'm going to present it to them, 
we're going to do some practice so that they feel confident with that knowledge and then I can move on to the next bit etc so that's the first thing second thing I think is absolutely crucial is teacher-led explanations now what I don't mean by this is that you've always got to do a verbal presentation because it might be reading something together and you're kind of you know giving an additional explanation as you read something or it might be watching a video that explains a certain concept and again you're you're kind of pausing and explaining as you go um so whatever format that takes but it's a it's a teacher-led explanation it's clear it's concise it uses examples and non-examples. Non-examples, I think, are super powerful. It uses worked examples if that's um, appropriate. Um, and, and that you're questioning pupils as you explain. So just moving away again from that misconception that it's just teachers standing up and talking for the whole time. Pupils will be involved in that explanation. Once you've done that, I think it's um, the next strategy that you can use is modelling. So we'll all know um, modelling and it's explaining, not just showing pupils what a good example looks like of a task, for example, but also how do you achieve that? So a step-by-step process of if you're writing a good paragraph, if you are solving this equation, if you're performing this skill in art or PE, whatever it is, these are the step-by-step steps I guess that you have to go through and that might be live just teacher-led modeling so you just model it doing something as a teacher and explaining why you're doing things and you're thinking it might be pupil involvement in that so I'm going to start off this is my first sentence who can tell me what do I need to say next that kind of thing or it might be what I would call deconstruction which is looking at kind of pre-prepared modeling thinking what's good about this why is it a really good example how could it be improved etc so modeling is super crucial And then I think the biggest thing that I don't see in lessons is um, explicit instructions version of practice. And the reason I'm going to say that is because what I think tends to happen is we, we use I, we, you do. So the teacher will do a live model and then we maybe will do one other class and then we go, okay, you know how to do that now, off you go. That's what I see in teaching all the time. And up until about, like, you know, three years ago, that's how I would have taught. Look, I've, I look at me. I've done a paragraph as a, at, for you. And then we've done one together. And, and then maybe you've done one as a pair. Now you're ready. You can go and answer those exam questions, for example. Um, and then you get the work in. And I think, oh, my God, were you even in the class? Like, you haven't done what I've asked you to do at all. And I get really, really annoyed. It wasn't the people's fault. It was my fault. It's because I hadn't um, asked them to do enough practice and I haven't guided their practice enough so first of all we want lots and lots of um practice where the teacher is leading that practice like I'm going to do one but then we're going to do a couple together as a class with you know more and more questions being asked as you go through that when you start pupils doing practice that practice should then be really scaffolded and really guided and it should also be really similar to what you've done as a class and again teachers don't like doing that they think oh my god I can't give them a really similar question to the one that they've already done because that would be too easy Uh, they'll get bored no explicit instruction will tell us that initial independent practice should be super super similar um and then we want to fade that guidance away so that pupils are eventually asked to do that um on their own now what i tend to see is that teachers have thought about guidance fading but they do it over a really long time period so they might start off let's say if you're teaching gcses you start off with loads and loads of scaffolding when pupils first answer longer exam questions 
uh, in year 10, let's say, and then you're hoping that halfway through year 11, they don't need that guidance anymore. They've learned how to do the questions. But actually, this form of guidance fading is doing that in the one learning or one practice um, opportunity. So you might start off with um, a question and you give loads of prompts, a list of what to include, some ideas, all that kind of thing. Sentence starters, so lots and lots of help. And then the next question they do is a similar question and you're still giving quite a lot of guidance, but it's a little bit less. Then they do another question, a little bit less, another question, a little bit less. So it's re- in explicit instruction, we're really elongating that phase of, I guess, the we do um, from going from teacher models to independent practice shouldn't just be do one, do two. It's really elongated with guidance being faded over a, a number of questions or tasks or problems. Um, and then after that, it's space practice and review, which people will know lots about already. Yeah, definitely. I just can't help listening to that last bit you talked about there, Jade, in terms of phasing off that support and just thinking about when we learn to drive and reverse around a corner or something. Like the driving instructor would say to you, like, <laughs> I'm going to talk you through it once. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Now crack on. It was that gradual phasing off. And before you knew it, they weren't saying anything and they weren't helping you. And they they would then just give you some feedback at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm laughing because I am literally the worst driver ever. (laughs) I am absolutely horrendous. Um, They should have used more explicit instruction. Yeah, well, nothing would have helped, honestly, I'm that bad. Just drive. Yeah, no, well, exactly. Beaver car. Yeah, nothing would have helped. My poor driving instructor, I still feel, feel sorry for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I completely agree. And and if we, people will obviously accept, people who, who don't like explicit instruction will accept that something like driving, you have to explicitly instruct. You have to really explain clearly you have to, like you say, fade that guidance over time. You have to have loads and loads of practice with lots of really high quality feedback on your practice. Um, and so learning any complex skills or knowledge is essentially the same. Jade, we've got a question um, from someone listening uh, from Jen, who has just asked, uh, what is a non-example? You said that oh, yeah. earlier on. I think it was great. Question. What is a non-example? I love non-examples. I think they really, really improve the quality of your explanation. So a non-example basically shows pupils what, what wouldn't be included. So an example says this, these are examples of this thing, and a non-example is the, these are not examples of this thing, but you use it to overcome possible misconceptions. So, for example, if you were teaching what a reptile was, um, you would give some examples of reptiles, and then your non-examples would be things that are not reptiles, but which students commonly confuse as being reptiles. So they might be a crocodile, for example. I'm praying that's not a, re- <laughs> a reptile. They think it is. No. But you, so you do that. And, and in the same way, so for example, when I teach um, financial and non-financial objectives, because I'm a business studies teacher, pupils always think that um, survival is a non-financial objective because it's just about the business carrying on but actually it's financial because it's linked to making enough profit and having enough cash to survive 
So when I explain what a financial or non-financial objective is, I use survival as a non-example of a non-financial objective, if that makes sense. You're basically saying, I know you will think it's these things, but it's not these things, and this is why. And the same in maths, you might say, so these are examples of how it's done correctly. These are not examples and then there's a really nice um, diagram that always comes up if you Google it, and I think it's diameters. So you have some examples of how, what would be a diameter and then things that pupils would think is a diameter but is not a diameter, um, like other things about circles, Arthur, which Chords. you will know. Chords. Most likely a chord. So you explain that at the point um, of your initial explanation, and that really helps to show them the boundaries of the idea that you're introducing but also to overcome overcome any of those misconceptions so i think they really strengthen our initial explanations and i think that's something you can use in your teaching quite quickly when your subject knowledge is really good those non-examples come quite nicely so hopefully jen let's answer your question but also give you some ideas for your subject she's even just said jay thank you i'm going to give us a go tomorrow amazing so awesome. jen amazing Mike, we've spoken quite a lot about subjects that involve kind of um, examples, written examples, writing stuff down, showing stuff. I was just wondering if you're sitting there as a PE teacher being like, yes, I can absolutely see this in PE. Like, you're an executive head of PE. It's a very, very important title. So I'm expecting a fantastic answer from an executive head of PE. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to think of... As an executive head of PE, you're supposed to say. Sorry, as an executive head of PE. I'm trying to think of examples of skills and i'm going to come back to one that we talk about it's almost per podcast the example i use which is throwing a javelin which is a, a, every, a, week. every week a surprisingly complex skill in what can be quite dangerous as well actually i can't say to students here's a javelin go and explore how to throw this and then let's come back and share some ideas actually that's got to be quite explicit and again i'm gonna phase my support off of that skill um as they gradually get better and better and better and then progress that skill on as well so yeah i think it lends itself to certain aspects of my curriculum more than others jade i'm wondering while i'm listening to you is there can explicit instruction be used kind of as a teaching tool across all subjects equally? Or do you feel that there's certain subjects that lend themselves more to explicit instruction? Or is it something that we just need to use as a teaching tool? Yeah, great question. I think that there are certain subjects that it's more obvious how it would be used. Science, maths, for me, economics, for example, really kind of content-heavy, tricky things. I think the subject where we um, struggle to use it or where we see the most opposition is English. And that's because of the way in which um, English lessons often centre around class discussions and pupils' um, reflections on a piece of text, for example. But the really good research ed book about explicit and direct instruction there's a chapter in there that is brilliant and it's by um i think it's two english teachers and they have gone through how they use explicit instruction in english um so and it's like it's things like be explicitly explaining the meaning of vocabulary you know you don't say what there's this word here what do we think that word might mean and i'm not i don't mean you you might sometimes ask pupils to 
uh, develop the skill of inferring what a word means from a text. I understand that, but I mean like new language, how to write, how to answer exam questions, maybe how to write, write persuasively. We're not asking people to guess how to do that. We're, we're explicitly teaching them how to. So I think it, it's definitely something that can apply across across all subjects. What I will say is that even the literature in explicit instruction says that when we are talking about explicit instruction being most effective, that is for novice pupils. Now, by a novice, I don't mean, for me, year 10 or year 7 or year 1 in primary school, and that all of a sudden, by year 13, you're an expert. We mean a novice in that specific area of knowledge. So when you teach your year 13 class a new topic for the first time and they haven't got a lot of background knowledge on that topic, they are novices. And at the start of that topic, you should be using explicit instruction. However, as students progress through a topic and their knowledge improves and their ability to, I don't know, perform certain skills improves, they become more expert. And when they become more expert, explicit instruction is not then the most effective. And that's linked to the expertise reversal effect in cognitive load theory. And at that point, it is problem solving that would be more effective. Now, that's, I think, really important because people don't like explicit instruction because they think that it means that they can't let pupils uh, problem solve or in art, for example, be creative. And I had a really good chat with an art teacher when I did um, a, a session on explicit instruction. And the point is, for example, if you are wanting your pupils to get really good at drawing hands, you don't just say let's let's try drawing hands you as an art teacher explicitly teach them the best way to draw hands and then they practice and then at the end of that they can be really creative and they can draw whatever picture they want with hands that are well drawn if that makes sense so i think it's really important that we understand that explicit instruction still gives opportunity for problem solving for synoptic tasks and for that kind of creativity that just comes at the end of the learning process as opposed to at the start of the learning process. I really like what you said about the kind of the novice approach where you can be a novice one week, an expert later on, and then go back to being a novice. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. What we sometimes forget is we, we have our students on the scale of novice to expert, but they are all just they never go backwards on that scale. Whereas, like, for maths, we quite often find, like, we, explicit instruction lends itself really nicely to maths. It's kind of, you were saying, Mike, like, it's almost impossible with some of the stuff we do to be like, go and explore this, because that's just not how it works. But what I really like is saying, you can be a novice now, we'll do some explicit instruction, you then maybe, I'm going to use the word expert, I don't really mean expert, but you're more experty. you're better. You're better at the topic now. But then when we start to apply it, you move backwards towards being a novice and we need to bring that more scaffolded approach there. Mike's enjoying all the words I'm bringing here. Um, sorry, executive head of PE. Um, but I think that's the thing to remember is your students going can move along that kind of scale between novice and expert freely and that can happen quite often. Yeah, definitely. So an being an expert in one topic um, doesn't mean you're an expert in another. And that's the same for, for, for us, you know, and you can think about areas of teaching that you feel really, really confident in. And, and overall, you might say, my I've got a good level of expertise as a teacher, but there will definitely be elements in which you are a novice. And that's the same as our, our pupils' knowledge, I think. Yeah, definitely. Mike Mike's not a novice in any area. Oh, so. I'm <laughs> very novice, um, I can assure you of that, Arthur. Um, I'm gonna, I think we should open it up to, to questions from our listeners now, Arthur. I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be about 
uh, explicit instruction it can be about anything you'd like to ask jade or so we do have we do have one question mike for okay. jade i'm going to kind of take this question and then go with it kind of what we were talking about from here um talking about teaching and learning groups any advice and i know that's a big topic Nadia. we had a really good pod maybe a year ago now with jade where we spoke about this jade with like a teaching learning group that you're trying to kind of build how would you bring explicit instruction to that group so if we kind of merge the two things we're talking about there as in if you wanted your teachers to read about explicit instruction yeah hmm. kind of as part of the teacher and learning group you're trying to yeah kind of build that's actually a really really good topic for a teaching and learning group because there's lots of really great and well written research and articles and um if you're trying to persuade people to, to take on explicit instruction there's brilliant articles to do so so um in terms of a teaching and learning research group the the general format that that i would use is decide your article read it yourself, just set some questions and really importantly, I think, pre-publish the questions to your teachers. It means that everyone feels like they know what they're talking about before they come to the session. So especially when you're first starting, people aren't worried about, oh, I don't, what if I don't know what I'm talking about? What if um, I don't know what to say in the session? Because you just basically go through the questions that they've already answered. And then as you would in your lessons, make sure you give um teachers time to pair you know have a a pair or a small group discussion before you discuss it as a group and again because that gives them confidence that oh no what i took from the article which sometimes can be quite technical is correct um so that's kind of like general rules i've I've just posted on twitter tonight actually a blog that i've written about our teaching learning group and how i set it up and um the process that i go through so if you go on to my tweets and replies on twitter and if you're interested in setting one up and the link to the blog is there with explicit instruction like i say i think it lends itself really well and i would probably start with um putting students on the path to guided learning by kirshner um brilliant really short article to get started which looks at why do people still believe that discovery learning is effective why is it not effective why is explicit instruction better than that and looks at a couple of strategies worked examples and another one which i can't remember um so that's a shorter article then there's a longer version of that paper and then there's a really recent article by um sweller 2021 article called why inquiry learning why inquiry learning harms learning that doesn't sound right but it's something like that um and again that goes through quite a lot of depth and it looks into cognitive load theory and um evolutionary evolutionary psychology and um cognitive architecture so that's a bit of a more in-depth look at why though the opposite of, of explicit instruction discovery learning etc is is not effective i've just put the link to that article oh, in thank you. the chat as well for anyone who's listening and wants to kind of go to i have a question based on what you were saying there and kind of what we spoke about at the start of the pod jade is let's say i'm a teacher and i want to do some more explicit instruction um i'm doing all the reading i'm redeveloping i'm getting some good feedback from the students and kind of all that stuff i have someone to kind of come into my classroom and they another teacher they do their observation or their learning walk and they they challenge me on the explicit instruction approach i'm taking because of many reasons like we spoke about at the start of the pod with maybe kind of it's negative things what do i do in that situation when i want to kind of 
convince someone else that what I'm trying is valid and it's not just me standing up being lazy lecturing which we obviously know it's not not yeah good question and and this is for anybody who's leading teaching and learning in their school or department and and wants to try and um, bring other teachers onto the technique I think it's like we said at the start it's being really clear on on why explicit instruction is effective so can you explain the reason that it works is because of limited working memory not causing cognitive overload novice and experts learn differently i mean you can link it to evolutionary psychology and biologically primary and secondary knowledge which is a bit more complex but is is the kind of what we would talk about now when we're talking about cognitive load or explicit instruction so it's about knowing that really why are you doing that why do you think it's effective but actually there's lots of other benefits so there's it's not the benefits to Uh, Jade, we've just lost you there. Is Jade back? Mike, we'll have to talk. This is a disaster. Um, Mike, Sorry, just while we're trying to I'm get... Here. Oh, Jade's back. My... She's back. My... Sorry, Jade, we missed you there. My dog's tail put my phone onto mute. I apologise. It's all right. Me and Mike, you should have seen the panic in I our face, listeners, I heard <laughs> when we thought we were going to have to talk. Sorry. So what I was trying to say is, <laughs> yes, you do have to understand and be able to explain why explicit instruction is effective, but actually there are lots of other benefits to explicit instruction rather than or as well as just it's more effective for learning so it's much more time efficient because what tends to happen and i've seen this in the past when you watch lessons that are trying to use discovery learning is you say to the kids right go and discover it for yourself and they do to varying degrees of success with a lot of support from you and then what in, in the vast amount of case the vast um majority of cases what tends to happen is you bring all the kids together and then you explicitly instruct them and you say right this is this 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 um so way more time efficient than than going through that process way better at preventing misconceptions developing because obviously you as a teacher are saying this is the correct knowledge these are the misconceptions these are the non-examples this is why they're not correct way better for motivation because we don't have those pupils that will really struggle when they do discovery learning that will have cognitive overload that won't experience success and, and then will be demotivated because of that um so not just that it's yes explain why it works but also there's lots of other benefits that you could try and sell to people as well would you explain to the students why you are going to teach them in such a style would you give yeah. them one of those like i'm going to do explicit instruction yeah. because of this chat really great and question what would Sorry. I was going to say, what would be the, the really key elements that you would want to get across to the students? It's a really great question. I think it is crucial that we explain to our students why we teach in the way that we do and why we use the strategies that we do. And in fact, I was talking um, to a, um, I was going to say another podcaster. I feel really guilty. I was talking to another podcaster yesterday. What? I know. How dare you? There are other podcasts. <laughs> and. Um, he was saying, I was, I was saying that we've done an assembly. We we're talking about cold calling. And I was saying, um, you know, we know that students often can struggle with cold calling when you first start using it. They feel uncom uncomfortable, they feel worried. But we do an assembly where we explain to all of our pupils um, how, why we teach in the way that we do with, with cold calling being an example of that. And it's actually not me at all that does it. So I'm not taking credit. It's, our, it's my amazing deputy head that I work with, a lady called Jo Rowley. She does this. And, um, and I think that it's the same for explicit instruction or, or um, why, you, why you're not 
written marking everything that they do or why are you asking them to do retrieval practice i think it's crucial that we explain to to our pupils we're using explicit instruction and this is why or if you if you're doing a live model i'm doing a live model because it will help you to see what success looks like but also i'm going to talk about um the steps that i go through so that you can kind of hear what i'm thinking when i do it and then you can replicate that process or i'm asking you to do lots of practice because we need to make sure that um, you're able to do this automatically, you're able to do this fluently, that it has gone into your long-term memory. So the more you can talk to your pupils about learning, and not just in assemblies, but also context-specific in your subjects, the better, I think. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic note to leave this podcast and this uh, Twitter space on, Jade. Um, obviously, if people want to find out more about you, they should be able to find you on Twitter. Uh, if not, can you just give us all the details if someone's listened to this on a podcast later on? Yep. So I am at, at Pierce Misses. So Mrs. Pierce, but then my handle is at Pierce Misses on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to plug my book. Is that okay? No, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So plug, plug, plug. <laughs> So my book is What Every Teacher Needs to Know, How to Embed Evidence-Informed Practice um, in Your School. One of the chapters is on um, explicit instruction, and that's kind of why we're talking about it today. But lots of other evidence-informed um, techniques that you can go through. And also, if you are interested in stuff like teaching and learning groups, lots in there about what we've done in our school with that kind of thing as well. Highly recommend the book. I know I've seen so many fantastic reviews of it, Jade, from people who know what they're talking about so it is it's brilliant um jade we have had the absolute pleasure of you having you on the podcast for the first time listeners if there's anyone listening live or on the pod i'd really recommend going back and listening to jade's other two episodes we did one all about a research culture in the school and the second one we did all about a really deep dive into questioning um which i know loads of people are still listening to it's our most listened to podcast by uh, an absolute mile someone has just bought the book jade and it yeah, should arrive yay. um so what a day but mainly jade i'm gonna say thank you to you i'm gonna say thank you to the listeners you've been awesome but i think we should say a big well done to mike harrowell he's just come out of two days of ofsted and he is still here mike how are you doing mike I'm still awake it's it's remarkable um, but no, thank you, Jade. Uh, That's not a good sell for the pod, Mike. I'm still, still awake. awake. It's been been fantastic. <laughs> Jade's kept me awake. Um, no, thank you. fantastic, Jade. Thank you so much for giving up your time and talking us through explicit instruction. Like you said, if people want to find out more, go and buy the book. We we got a little sneak peek at the questioning chapter, and it was a, a fantastic read. So, guys, go and have a look at it. Um, and if you've got any questions, I'm sure Jade will be more than willing to answer them on Twitter. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much, Jade. We're going to end the live pod now. Listeners on the pod, me and Mike will be back in a moment. Welcome back to Teen Teaching. Arthur, love a chat with Jade. Third time we've got the privilege of speaking to her now. So what's your third round of takeaways from a pod with Jade Pierce? Jade Pierce talking about education is just what a place to be for me, Mike, the rather than a really specific takeaway, what was brilliant was I think explicit instruction. We often think is the easy way out. And we discuss this in the pod, but I think what Jade makes really clear, it is, is not easy. It's really difficult to do really well. And that makes it gr like it's great teaching doing explicit instruction really well. 
And I think Jay just articulates that so clearly in her stages of explicit instruction. Um, so it just makes me feel really passionate about doing something that I know works, but it, I feel sometimes people look down on um, in education. So for me, it was just really invigorating to talk about someone who really understands the knowledge. Um, what about yourself? Yeah, for me, it was that sort of fading off of support when you get students to enter that practice phase, um, not just kind of saying, I've told you everything you need to know, now go and do it. It's right, well, watch me do it. Right, now let's do it with a little bit of support. Oh, sorry, a lot of support. And then gradually fading that off until they're ready to go on their own, but not just going, here's one example, now you're good. Off you go, go and discover it for yourselves because that's not the point of explicit instruction. So it's definitely something I'm going to be building into my my lesson planning for future and just being really conscious of that when I plan my lessons. What I really like about talking to Jade is there's stuff there that you can go away and do in your lessons tomorrow. These really simple ideas. We spoke about non-examples, for example. Um, but there's also these things that take time to develop and you want to go away and research. So there's real stuff you can do tomorrow, next week, next term, but also continually. So it's just a really brilliant way to think about it. so i'd really recommend people like go back if you want and listen to that pod again and take some notes and pause it and stuff um mike brilliant doing a live pod with you um i get to speak to you live but it was brilliant to share that with the world um so thank you for your time thank you arthur and thank you to listeners we'll speak to you next episode thank you for listening to this episode of tea and teaching if you've enjoyed the content of this episode, please feel free to share it with other educators. And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform. And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.